Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whoever you are, wherever you're listening, this is a chat about football. And I'm Joel. I'm joined here with my fellow podcaster, Robert. And How you with doing? me, I've got two special guests today. I'm going to literally just, I'm really excited for this episode. I've got two people with me that I know that are massive, massive uh, football fans. And for this episode, we're doing a Sheffield United special. As you can see, I've got my Sheffield United shirt on. I've got um, <laughs> Cal on the left of me here. He's a massive, massive Blaze fan. But yeah, he's literally top man. Um, know him, he's a Sheffield native. He does some wonderful work at Whole City Church, one of the youth pastors there. And in the bottom right, as you can see, I've got Richard Sutcliffe here. He's an excellent journalist, Sheffield United writer for The Athletic. Have I got that right? Have I? Certainly have, mate. Yep, certainly have. <laughs> so I thought I'd double check. Honestly, he's written some excellent articles. And if you haven't had the chance to read them yet, please be sure to go over to The Athletic. I think a personal favourite of mine is when he talks about Billy Sharp and the impact he has on his team, about how they were on holiday and I can't remember where they were and God knows where, but he was getting the footage of the players sort of celebrating their best <laughs> moments across the sort of um, villa where they were sort of putting on the big screen as they were sort of set a party in. So that was a really, really good insight and there's a lot more of that to come. But I've talked near enough. I just thought I'd, um, before starting and getting on with this, I thought I'd say, guys, um, if you do like what you hear in this episode, we've got um, we've got a YouTube channel that will be coming up soon. But on, right now we're on Spotify. Um, we're planning to be on Acast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to our podcast. Let us know. We'll let you know where you can find it. And you let you know we can talk about a chat about football. But enough of me talking it. I just thought <laughs> I'd get started. Um, Richard, I thought I'd ask you first and foremost. Um, I know that you're, again, um, familiar with what's going on with the players right now. I thought I'd ask... How's the mood uh, in the camp been after that um, result against Arsenal, that close, sort of close, um, drawn last, I guess, in the last minute, I guess? How have the lads been taking it? Yeah, it's, it's strange to say, really. Obviously, they, they got beat, but the mood was a lot improved compared to what it had been. Obviously, it's not been the restart they're expecting. They came back thinking if they win the game in hand against Villa, they'll go up to fifth and be a couple of points behind Chelsea. And yet, it's not worked out like that. They've got one point in the league out of three matches. And obviously gone out of the cup, but the performance against Arsenal was so much better than it had been that I think it's lifted everybody. And I spoke to Chris Wilder this morning, and he was a lot more upbeat. You know, obviously coming up with Spurs coming up on Thursday night, it's uh, it's just given everyone a bit of a spring in the step. And I think they needed it really because it had been sounds daft really. You know, everyone was tipping Sheffield United to finish twentieth and the sort of eighth, eighth, ninth in the Premier League. But people were saying, "Oh, has the bubble burst and things like that?" So I think that performance was important on Sunday. Did you reckon um, they're viewing this game against uh, Tottenham as a must-win? And obviously, they have Burnley, I think, coming up on Sunday as well. Do you think there's been much just changing the approach and the view of how the next few switches are coming up in terms of how Chris Wilder views them? Or has they all been a case of taking a game as a time as, he, as he's normally done? Yeah, every manager will tell you it's one game at a time. But I think you've got to look at these two. And like you said, Burnley went over them last night. Uh, Tottenham, if they beat them, they'll go over Tottenham. And they can just get themselves back in the race, really. Obviously, yeah. you know, Europe would be incredible for a for a club like Sheffield United. We've never been there before. But it's just come up out of the the championship. Well, I say just. Obviously, it's a year now, but it feels like just with a big gap we've just had <laughs> in, the, in the season. But you look how Villa have done and Norwich are doing, and it shows how well Sheffield United have done. So, it'd be fantastic if they could finish it off. If they don't and they end up finishing 11th, 12th, it's still been a great season. Yeah. But these, you know, they have got a big chance now. They've got Wolves coming up as well. Chelsea coming up at home. All teams, you think, well, if they take points off them, they can uh, they can do themselves a lot of good. Yeah. Definitely, I guess as well, having the COVID hit at the wrong time, of course, in terms of the rhythm, because you're really getting into a good rhythm at that point. 
And look, let's exactly what you said, let's not understate how well of a season you have had, even regardless if you are finishing 11 and 12. Um, but COVID really hit at a bad time, didn't it, in regards to the rhythm for Sheffield United? That's right, Rob. They were just, you know, I think they were unbeaten in six, something like that. They'd just beaten Reading to go through into the last eight of the cup. And also, obviously, you've got Tottenham coming up on Thursday and there'll be no Harry Kane, there'll be no Son. Exactly, yeah. You know, that's, that's, you know, you, somebody, somebody actually said to Chris Wilde today, <laughs> said, well, you know, does that make much difference? And he just started laughing. He thought, well, just a little bit, yeah, you've got the England <laughs> captain and an absolutely fantastic footballer, you know. So, you know, any team in the Premier League would have those two in their attack. Oh, of course, so it makes it, it makes it very different, you know, a lot more difficult. But they sort of seem to thrive under those sort of circumstances. So, let's yeah. see what they can do. And I guess as well, I mean, realistically, that game against Arsenal, it did bring that motivation you did need. Because, I mean, if you lost against Arsenal and it was a pretty bad defeat, you don't know where you could... Don't get me wrong, it still be a great season, but I yeah. could spiral from there. It was a bit of a make-or-break game, in a sense, in terms yeah. of the mentality. Yeah, I totally agree. They, they, they were very low after Man United last Wednesday. Mm. Obviously, it was very hot, which doesn't help, but they were, they were just chasing the ball all night and they couldn't get near yeah. uh, Man United, if we're being honest. And... You know, like I said, I think I think Chris did quite a good thing there. He gave him 48 hours off straight away, which, you know, at this time is not ideal because you haven't really got any time to, to work on anything in training anyway. But he could just see how flat they were. And he thought, well, two days at home with the family. Hopefully they'll come back in Saturday and they're, they're a bit more fired up, yeah. which it did work and the performance was a lot better. I th- no, I think of course. That person, I've got that, um, just two quick questions before I thought I'd fire off. Right? I've got first on that. Um, with Sheffield United, I know a lot of what they rely on is the rhythm, sort of like Robert said about um, working and training under things, um, little tidbits here and there. I know that Chris Wilder's a big, big sort of fan of sort of having a regimented sort of set uh, routine for how the week goes, right? And obviously, as you know, for example, like I've played some on like Tuesday, for example, be like Terror Tuesday, where they do all the running and all the fitness work, and then Wednesday and Thursday, and then they slowly sort of build up towards match day. and. And it's worked well for them this season, sort of having that um, structure, right? But do you feel like um, COVID-19, like the whole pandemic and the whole disruption and then restarting, do you feel like that played a big part in this, say, how things have gone? Or is it just a case of they've just been able, like, has it just been a case of just bad, unfortunate results? Yeah, they've just lost a bit of form, really. I think Jack O'Connell being out of the sides made a big difference because he's, he's, he's invaluable as a defender, but he's fantastic going forward. You know, he makes the overlapping centre-back down the left. He makes it work. Jack Robinson's done well since he come in. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. But to me, Jack O'Connell is probably the one player in this side who I think could actually step into a, a very, you know, one of the very top teams. In you know, obviously the rest, they've had a great season and, you know, they're doing very well in the Premier League. But I think Jack O'Connell's that one who could go that little bit further. And uh, to lose him out of your team. And John Fleck missed the first one. and He's not really looked the same since either. Yeah. He missed it through yeah. injury. I think, and Kyle will probably, well, I hope, I think he'd probably agree that, you know, they've just not looked, they've not had that fluidity, not had that rhythm, like you just said, that uh, that they had, you know, certainly at the end of 2019 and even really just before lockdown, you know, when the results were still going for him, even though performances weren't quite as good in February and March. Yeah. I mean, this question really goes to both of you as well. I mean, how big of an impact as well do you think the fans played and playing in an empty stadium has on the team? I'll let Kyle take that one. <laughs> um it's hard to say, really. You know, I think when uh, when we played um, Manu, um, Manu was it Manu? Was it Manu that had all the cardboard cutouts or the the play the fans in the seats? Yeah. It was yeah, yeah, in the corners. Yeah. The the atmosphere of that stadium seemed very different 
to to the other empty ones that we've seen. And they, they, they even like on when we watched it live, the commentators were saying it doesn't feel like an empty stadium. Like it's not echoey and it's not empty feeling. Whereas Bramall Lane, even on TV, you could hear echoes just bouncing off everything. So I think that I think that it looked like or it sounded like watching a training game when you watched it on TV. Yeah. Um, it was that same type of preseason friendly atmosphere of you know, just a few school kids turning up for a preseason friendly or whatever. But um, so I, I think, judging like just looking at the the way that Blaze play at home, you know, fans are, are definitely um, like I'd say more important to Blaze than most home fans in the league at the minute. To be honest, I think like Wilder said in, his, in one of his interviews after the game, he said like, "Can you imagine what this would have been like in that second half, sixty minutes in, with fans behind him? It would have changed everything." Okay, yeah. Um, and I don't think I don't think we'd have lost as momentum as easy as we did that second half for that maybe 10, 10 12 minutes we did in the middle of the half if we'd have had the fans there cheering us on. Um, yeah, I think it's had a big impact, but it's it's hard to gauge because teams are just performing odd. Like even yeah. in lower leagues, was it Northampton smashing four past Exeter? Oh no, yeah, like away. <laughs> it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? No, of course. And you had even um, Jake Humphrey say about Leicester and how they should have, like, their, um, should have a rebuild. It's like, well, come on. I mean, they've had a great season. And look, let's not... A few games, it's, everyone's feeling a bit of the struggle here. Yeah. I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's a cry for panic or like a cry for help at all. I think it's just adjusting to, well, the normal right now, I guess. Yeah, It, uh, it is. It's very, it is eerie. It was eerie at Bramall Lane on Sunday, but I, I get the impression the players are starting to get used to it. I mean, right across the Premier League. I thought the first two, maybe three games, obviously United played uh, that extra game at Villa. The first two or three, there was a, a real feeling that they didn't really know what to do. Whereas I think now, I hate the phrase, the new normal, but it is, it's starting yeah. to feel like that. And I think we're seeing that in the games now. I think, you know, the games of, you know, I, I actually enjoyed the match on, uh, on Sunday. Probably because Sheffield United played a lot better than they had, but I thought it was a much more entertaining match than the previous yeah. three had been, and I think that's just because they're getting used to it. it. Was odd sat there in the in the press well, we're not in the press box, so I was actually in the stand for the social, and it's very eerie. And you know they tried the best in the club they played, you know the greasy chip butty song before the <laughs> game, but then but then they stopped it dead as soon as it kicked off, and then it was just you know like you say all you could yeah. hear was a couple of players shouting, so <laughs> it was odd. But I, I do think the players are getting used to it, and I think. I also think the closer we get to the end of the season and there's so much at stake now, you know, particularly down the bottom end of, of the course, league, yeah. I think the games will get better. Because I've quite enjoyed the playoff games, if I'm honest, in, mm. in League Two, yeah. just because there's so much at stake. Whereas the Premier League, it's, it's almost felt like pre-season the first fortnight. Whereas I think now, you know, you, you've got teams like Villa who they're, not gonna, they're gonna run out of chances soon if they don't frame them. Of and course, I think, yeah. I think we're gonna see that on the pitch. I think, I think we'll start getting yeah. some more more the sort of football we expect and yeah. I hope so anyway because the first felt like a bit of a phony ward in the first fortnight really yeah. enjoyed it um, I, I was going to say something right? I know that um, you alluded to it earlier as well like everyone sort of put the blaze down towards the bottom as well right um, for this season and it's funny that I say this as well because I'm going to point at Robert here because I, this is why I've got the Sheffield United shirt on from last season because I knew they going to do one Premier League and Robert's my, uh, my witness here because I said that <laughs> you know what the way that the blaze is set up right they're probably the best teams out of the three that did get promoted that would adjust better to the Premier League. I think purely because they have a style of play, especially at home, that allows them to dominate a lot of the ball and a lot of them to put pressure on the opposition. Um, I know that overlapping centre-backs allows sort of them to pen 
the teams in their half. But also I noted that they, they could see so few goals from counter-attacks, but everyone pointed out that the overlapping centre-back was leaving vulnerable at the back. I think you only need to watch that Liverpool game, the one at uh, home at Bramall Lane, where you look at how all it took was a Dean Henderson mistake to deny the Blaze a chance to win in the game. I thought they were very, sort of very even contested. So going back to the original point I'm going to say now, because I thought I'd just point out Robert and say, you know what, this, this team, it's not a coincidence why they are the way, the way they are. Right? Um, I was going to say, has it caught you by surprise at all? Not because how sort of the Blaze have um, adjusted it, but maybe how well they've adjusted. Like, I know that you would have put them in Europe, sort of places, I don't think that, but has it been something that you've looked at and you think that, where does this, have you seen little signs all along? I've certainly been pleasantly surprised by how well yeah. they've done results-wise. I, I, I didn't think they'd go down, but I thought it'd be one of these where, obviously in a normal season that finishes in May, I thought they'd still be going in towards, towards the back end of April and they'd still need you know, a couple of draws or maybe a win just mm. to get over the line. I thought, you know, I, I did the predictions with the all did the athletic and I had them down as 16th, which I thought, I think they'll just about get there. So, you know, whether they finish 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, I just think it's been a fantastic season all around. Definitely. And, and yeah. something to build on as well. I think what I liked is that all the contracts are getting sorted out. You know, they've done quite a few recently where they've done extensions. So this looks like a team that could build if you can add the right bits to it. I think, you know, the strike, you know, up front is the big thing. I know a lot of money was spent last summer on strikers, but it's goals that are the sort of a problem for them, really. Uh, Sander Berg, that was the big thing for me on Sunday as well, that he had his best game for Sheffield yeah. United. And if he can, you know, if he can hit the right notes that we expected of him in January, then I, you know, I, I really think that he could, he could be the key to the team really pushing on next year. I, I don't know what you think, Kyle, but I think he's going to be a big, big player next year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Sander Berg, he, he impressed me on Sunday um, a lot. Um, for a big lad, he, he doesn't half move, doesn't he? Like, he, for a big lad, his ball sticks to his feet. And I, I think, I think when he came to us at first, I think his confidence was definitely a bit a bit low, maybe. Uh, maybe I think he felt like he'd bitten off more than he could chew, maybe, I don't know. But um, you can see that like on, even on Sunday, from the start of the game to the end, the confidence just went through the roof. And as it did, he got better and better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was well impressed with him. And if he carries on like that, he's going to be a star player next season, easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, to go back to the question, Joel, I mean, like I, I, I was, I was kind of similar to Richard, where I was like 40 points. That that's that's what I that's what I, my aim is, and I don't really care how we get there. Forty points, and I think when me and my mates did like a bit of a, a predictor thing, we we had us coming at sixteenth, seventeenth, something like that. But yeah, to 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 be at Christmas, what was it? Christmas fifth at Christmas was it? Yeah, the seventh yeah. at Christmas, and being talked about as one of the favourites to get in Europe, mind-boggling. Funny you mention, funny you mentioned Sander Berg as well, because I was mentioning him to Joe, and he was. <sighs> It shows a direction that Sheffield United definitely want to go as well because Sander Berg, well, is dubbed to be one of the next best centre defensive mid. I mean, him and that Norwegian sort of team of Haaland and Odegaard, they're, that's like the golden generation. So for you to go for Sander Berg, it shows definitely intention. It shows ambition. So, I mean, that's, and I guess this, especially being in the Premier League, being in a position that you are, stability is mostly one of the biggest things. And getting a signing like that really shows you mean business, you're here to stay. Yeah, and they've got, because you know, that's the thing that obviously it's been a fantastic season, but Sheffield United need to stick around for sort of two, three, four years. Yeah. And that's when the, that's when the strength in depth will come, I think, because, you know, there's still seven members of this squad. I know some are leaving uh, this summer, but the seven members of this squad played in League One. You know, and they've all done fantastically well. The ones who are in the team, obviously, you know, Bash, Jack O'Connell, you mm. know, yeah, they've been absolutely superb. But 
they need that strength in depth. And I think we've seen that since they uh, came back with a couple of injuries to key players. And it's been a bit of a struggle for the team to come to terms with it. But that strength in depth, certainly for a club, you know, they've not got endless bottomless pockets or anything, anything like that. It needs to be built gradually. And something like Sander Berg, it also sends out the message, you know, if he's signing January and they then go after another player in whenever the transfer window is going to be this year. And they look, so, oh, Sander Berg signed. Yeah, that's a go-ahead club. Exactly, and that yeah. feeds as well. And you hope yeah. it can then snowball a little bit. And, you know, the club can really lay down some roots because if it does that, then, you know, it'd be a fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah, coming on to the topic of sort of coming and going as well, like, do you have any um, ideas sort of who the players might be looking at towards sort of in the summer as well? well I know there might be a few changes needed to sort of consolidate their position or maybe sort of stay in and around the top half next season. It's going to be fascinating in terms of what they do uh, financially, really, uh, this summer. Um, COVID's had a massive, massive impact on them. Obviously, the, the Premier League's having to give £330 million back to the broadcasters, not just Sky, this is around the, around the globe, wow. uh, which is obviously impacting the teams with parachute payments like Huddersfield, lower down. But for teams like Sheffield United, it's, it's going to be a big hole in the budget, is that. And they also borrowed from this year's budget, uh, from next season's budget, sorry, to sign Sanderberg in January. You know, they pulled forward a portion of that £22 million was actually earmarked for next season. Wow. They've also got to spend £40-odd million. You know, it should have been done by the end of today. I think it will be. We've not had the announcement yet. We've got to spend 40-odd million on buying the ground, the training ground, the hotel, and another office block in the city. That's part of the ownership row. So there's a lot of expense all of a sudden and a lot of holes in the balance sheet. And that, that's going to be a big test, I think, this summer in terms of just what sort of spending power they have. Yeah. Um, you know, every club's going to be impacted. You know, I'm here in Manchester United. You know, it's going to cost them 80, 90 million pounds is COVID over, uh, you've got gate receipts, you've got sponsorships, yeah. you know, the last four, five, six games, whether they've got a track, you know, we always laugh about they've got a tractor partner in Ukraine and things like that, but they'll want a rebate on their um, pitch sponsorship and things like that because, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's going to be a massive hole for everybody and uh, not just Sheffield United, but also the flip side is that transfer fees might not be as expensive as they were going to be. So yeah. he, he always seems to pull a couple of rabbits out of the uh, hat, does, uh, does Chris Wilder. So I think he's going to have to do it again this summer. And I was, I was going to ask um, as well, right? Um, do you feel like the, um, the situation of the board finally being settled out as well with um, you had Prince Abdullah and you had um, the, sort of the contest between Prince Abdullah and Kevin, um, what's his name now? Kevin McKay, that's it. And that sort of was rumbling on a bit. But now, now do you think that's settled? Do you think there'll be more funds um, for at Chris Rowland's disposal to sort of improve the squad or is it still a case of because of how COVID sort of come even with Prince Abdullah having that sort of freedom to look after the players or sort of bring more money in his hands might be tied because of COVID do you reckon there still might be a few a bit available to Wilder in the summer? Yeah it's, it's, it's strange really because well, the ownership needed resolving you know yeah. it's, it's dra- it dragged you know the job that Chris Wilder's done is even more remarkable with the background of what was going on when you've got two owners who just absolutely couldn't get on, couldn't really make a decision between them. Nobody wanted, you know, I'm going back a couple of years now, nobody wanted to put more money in because they thought, well, if I lose this court case, I've just wasted money. Cool, and obviously, sure. and Chris, Chris threatened to resign at the end of the 2017-18 season. He was very close to leaving. Thankfully, the two sides got together. They had a meeting down in London. And uh, a budget was laid out, which took them forward. They had, they had to sell David Brooks, admittedly, to fund part of that budget. They went to Bournemouth. Um, but, you know, you, you can't run a club when you've got that sort of hostility between the two sides. So I think it's good that that's been resolved. Um, but 
you know, Prince Abdullah's obviously a rich man, but he's not a fantastically rich man like obviously the the the, the Saudi state are trying to take over Newcastle. Now they will make a big difference with their spending yeah. power if that gets the go ahead. Um, so Sheffield United, I think, well, any transfer fees spent this summer coming will actually have to be generated by themselves. You know, it'll be the TV money for next season and all that sort of stuff. And hopefully season tickets, because hopefully we'll get fans back in the, when the new season starts. So, you know, he'll try and generate what he can money-wise. But like I say, they've got to find 40-odd million to buy these properties back. And, uh, and there's a big hole in the balance sheet from, uh, from COVID. So... You know, it's uh, that's why I say it's even more important that the club can lay down some roots and, and build up that spending power and squad over the next three or four years. Yeah, I mean, funny you actually mentioned the Newcastle situation. I mean, this question goes to both of you. Would you want to be in that situation in regards to having all that money at your at your expense? But like, obviously, everyone knows the it's like the Chelsea and what comes with them and City with the whole like it's that sort of you're always now associated to be that sort of club. So I mean. Yeah, you got money. What? What's your thoughts? Would you want to be in that position? Go on, Carl. I'll let you have that as the fan. You've got a better insight than me. <laughs> um, I think initially, initially, you'd want to say yeah, wouldn't you? Be like, oh, it'd be good to splash the cash, get some dream transfers in, and stuff like that. But I don't think Sheffield United is that type of club. And I don't think it's that type of fan base. I think I'd more rather see Sheffield United do it progressively over time, investing youth. You know, make it so we instead of owned by you know, some super rich family just chucking in money every time we need it, where we end up, you know, being top four. I'd rather be in mid-table team that's built on kids from Sheffield, you know, or or even just like, you know, untapped talent, I guess, and bringing them up through the ranks. I think that, to me, I'd prefer to watch that than... A more organic you know. feel. Yeah, like, it, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like a Sheffield United thing to be rich. I can't imagine like knocking down Bramall Lane and putting up some Etihad copy in S2 area Sheffield. I just can't. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really fit. I don't think. Um, and of course, money doesn't always buy success. I mean, QPR will tell you that for free. I mean, well, look at Villa. How much did? How much yeah, did Villa exactly. Fulham as well. Season before that, you know, they spent a similar amount and went straight back down. There's right. no guarantee, and there's more. There's more people who've thrown away tens and hundreds of million pounds on football than there is who've hook struck gold, which is basically Manchester City and Chelsea. They're the two who've... Uh, Man United were huge anyway, so were Arsenal. So they're the two. I was going to ask one question to the both of you, right? Um, um, just, again, one name that you know that Blaze fans have a strong opinion on, but like, I mean, they all love him. Chris Wilder, right? Um, I know that there's been so many reasons as to sort of that we point out as to why he's been successful, and one that I feel that was like uh, like Richard alluded to that was so key was that fact that he hasn't had much to work on, but I think his relationship with like Stephen Bettis in the in the backroom example has been integral to sort of how the, the coordination to the transfers and who to get and who to buy and stuff like that. But do you reckon um, that has sort of been key to sort of his success as well? Like, what do you reckon, uh, Carl as a fan and Richard as a journalist? What do you two feel like about what has been key towards Chris Wilder's success to this point as well? Like if you were to point it out, point it out towards one thing. Uh, I think for me as a fan, I think one thing that we've not had at Blades for a long time is a manager who's got a bit of bravery in him, who, who's who's willing to kind of step out and try new stuff and change Blades from long ball 101 to someone who keeps the ball on the floor and actually plays the fo- plays football in a, in a good and exciting way to watch so I think definitely in terms of you know the first season it came or the second season you know when, when we won League One um, 
that's definitely that type of thing is what I, I think brought him close to the fans. And not only the fact he's a blade himself, you know, that, that obviously helps uh, massively. Um, to, you know, to, to, to score a goal and look down and see your manager celebrating the same way you guys are and stuff, it just makes all the difference. Um, and I think, yeah, things like, you know, hearing behind the scenes stuff, you know, like, like Richard said earlier about him, you know, saying to owners, look, sort it out or I'm leaving because I love this club too much to stick around and watch you ruin it. You know, that, all that type of stuff. And, and the fact that I think for me, one of my favorite things about Wilder is his post-match views. And I know it's only a small thing, but, like even today, I think I, I might have watched the interview you mentioned, Richard, where someone goes to him, oh, so Tottenham have got Song and, and Kane. He's like, yeah. are you asking me, are they going to be better with them? Because if you have to ask me that, <laughs> yeah, that's it's a one. problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just love it. It's just down-to-earth, honest Yorkshire lad, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. He's, the, he's the sort of guy who people follow as well, and that's been Definitely. right through his managerial career. I, yeah, I knew him really. I, I first knew him as a player when he was at Bradford City. But I got to know him properly when he was at Halifax Town. And, you know, there were so many struggles there. But the, the camaraderie he got and the togetherness and, and, and the football as well, you know, because togetherness and camaraderie only take you so far. You've got to have a plan as well. And, you know, you look at the, the overlapping, obviously, centre-backs and creating the overloads out wide, which is just, you know, was devising League One, basically, for all these teams who came to park the bus. Yeah. But you know, it, there was a little bit of a dissent when he brought it in. You know, that some people weren't happy, like Jack O'Connell struggled with it initially. Uh, but Chris, no matter what anyone says, was no. And even when they lost 4-1 down at Walsall in, I think it was the January of the title winning sin in League One, and they got hit four times on the break. And people saying, well, about this, it doesn't really. And he says, no, that's how we play. That's how we're doing it. And everyone goes with him and he just he fosters that sort of togetherness and one-for-all spirit. But it's, and it, it's taken them so far, obviously with ability and tactical know-how and oh, things sure. like that as well. But it's that real... And it's a Sheffield United thing, is that? Because... You know, he makes a big thing. It's been a working class club and, you know, it's in the middle of the city centre as well. You know, it's in a working class area. It's, and it, there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, it's, it's not a, an aloof club who, you know, think themselves better than what they are. It's, it's a blood and guts and get your hands dirty. And I think he's the perfect manager for that. But he's got a brain in there as well. You know, so is Alan Neil. It's not all just the, the very together and things like that. You know, they're, they're good football people as well. And uh, but I do think that atmosphere is absolutely key to what. The... Um, I think I've only got that two more questions to ask personally because I could say it all day, but I realise that I appreciate that both of you are very busy men. But <laughs> I've got um, one question to ask. Right, um, best moment um, as a blade um, in the last sort of three four years. Right? Um, because for me, I know that you talked about this, Richard. I remember you on a fan thread. I remember pointing out that uh, away at Wednesday, that four two, the the bouncing day massacre. <laughs> I've actually got Duffy at the back of my shirt. I'll show it here, but I've actually got him here. That goal he scored uh, when he turned Van Arken left, right and centre, that was a beautiful one. And you have that game against Leeds as well when Basham slides on in at the uh, last minute. But I was going to ask you guys, right, uh, between you two, um, what have been the best moment in three, four years on the wild, do you reckon? Because there's been a few games, like the 3-3 three, three, um, against Man United. And even for me, I think... Um, I don't know, there's so many, but anyway, I'll let you guys carry on and talk. I, I've talked enough, so you guys take it away. Which, what has sort of stood out for you under these sort of three, four years? I think, annoyingly, you've kind of mentioned most of what I would <laughs> you know, The 4-2 against Wednesday is my favourite away game ever. And I should, you know, it's not nice to say this, but seeing the Wednesday fans in, what was it, 20 seconds go from bouncing to crying was fantastic. And Duffy will be a legend, legend to me forever because of that. Um, I think, you know, beating Arsenal, um, 
it's pretty good, Joel. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think oh, for, I love it. when when uh, when I thought you were going to ask me this, I think the Manu game was definitely up there. You know, I think for me that Manu game, even though we didn't win, and you know we did let goals in and stuff, that for me has been probably yeah. the best game that I think we've played under Wilder. That or that or the Chelsea game earlier in the season to come back like we did and draw, that was incredible. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned all mine, dude. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny actually. At say press conference earlier, Chris was asked about the Tottenham game and obviously the you know the, the spirit in the show there after the McGoldrick, the John Lundstrom big toe being offside and uh, <laughs> McGoldrick's goal being being wiped out, and he said that and Manchester United were his two favourite games of the season, which he said was actually strange because you know Sheffield United won neither of them, but he says that, that was just what he envisaged the true Sheffield United side doing. Um, I think you're spot on with Hillsborough. I was in the press box that day, so obviously I had a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans sitting <laughs> in and around and below. And I've, I've, it was it was really bizarre because it was just like somebody, when Duffy scored that goal, obviously they're all doing the, if you don't, something bounce, you know, you're a blade. So they're all bouncing up and down, singing along. And then it, I've, I've always liked it. It was just like somebody pulled the plug out when yeah. Duffy scored. Because <laughs> everything stopped. Noise, bouncing, everything. It was just like somebody had sucked the air out you know, you know, you pull the stereo out of the wall and it just stopped dead, and that's yeah. exactly what it was. And it's, I've always, I always chuckle at that memory. It was just, just so bizarre to uh, to be in the middle of it all. Uh, I, I, again, I love that game as well. But I think um, just for one little quick story as well. I think even for me, right, um, the deciding sort of whether because again, I come up from London, right, and I'm an Arsenal fan. But I thought, you know, if you come to Sheffield, you've got to pick one, red or blue, right? So I thought, you know, I don't know how to decide. I watched that game. I knew I was going to go to Sheffield Uni. I just didn't know which side of Sheffield I was going to pick. I saw Duffy go in, right in. I thought, you know what? I can't go against him now. Again. <laughs> and then Brooks is not making a hunt. I thought, you know what? This is, you know, this team has a certain style about it. And that's why I looked at the team. I studied it. I looked at how they were doing. They were literally, in the first season, that weren't too bad. Leon Clark got like 19 goals. I thought, you know what? I can sort of run, run with this team and see where, it, see where it's gone. And then it's ended up with me being in the stadium um, when they got promoted at Ipswich, that 2-0 get, I think that is probably one of the best atmospheres I've heard at football ground ever. Just that emotion. Uh, and I can imagine, uh, Richard, I was going to ask you personally as well, right? Um, that game, right, probably the Ipswich was massive. But for some reason, I feel like Blade fans have a, a stronger affinity towards that game um, than towards the season, two seasons before when they came up um, after six years in League One, um, when they got 100 points, I, I feel like Blaze fans, especially when they're on 3-2 against Northampton, that's a massive, massive game for that massive, massive moment. And do you reckon, out of the two, do you reckon there's Blaze fans that hold the 16-17 season a bit more high regard because of how much they've been waiting to go out of League One? Do you reckon? I think that's like asking a father which is his favourite kid, really, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think they, uh, they probably love them equally. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I know what you mean about that League One. Um, title success because six years was you look back on it now and you wonder how it managed to be six years obviously yeah. we all know how it was because we all lived through it but uh, you know and we know everything that went on you know the, obviously the first season pit by Wednesday and uh, and I was at that playoff final against Huddersfield which was absolutely stunk Wembley out but obviously it only goes down only Sheffield United could miss out on promotion because the goalkeeper missed a penalty and things like that and it just <laughs> went on I was down at Swindon for the most bizarre second leg oh, five all it finished in the playoffs yeah. and it, and then that was also at Yeovil for when they lost 2-0 under Chris Morgan. And that was a, that was probably the low point, really. Even even worse than Nigel Adkins' year to me. That really did feel like everything had stalled. But six years for a club down there, so to escape 
it was special. And obviously uh, Northampton. But again, that talked about Chris Wilder earlier, his drive. And obviously they'd won promotion that day at Northampton, but he still wanted 100 points. And they, they had four games to go. And obviously they, they were out more or less every night for a week there. But he still managed to grab that out of him. And I, I remember playing Bradford. I think it might have been Easter Monday. And Bradford got into the playoff final that year as well. But Sheffield United, even though they've been celebrating for like a week, a week and a half, absolutely wiped the floor with Bradford and blew them away. 3-0, I think. Mm. And that, to me, was a sign of a proper winner and a, a team that really did react and believe in the manager. And we, we all know what's happened since. But that was a sign to me that that team wasn't just going to go up and hang around near the bottom of the championship, like a lot of League One teams do. Because I think the gap between League One and the championships is as big as the, in the Premier League. These. Um, but there was something about that spirit and, and what he what he what he created that pushed him on and yeah no, it's, I, I just I just don't think you can choose between the two I think the two promotions were fantastic but League One was good because it put an end to six years of purgatory Kyle do you, do you have a choice between the two or? oh it's coming up to the Premier League every day like <laughs> League One is League One's championship is one thing but I'm kind of like Richard I knew we'd do all right in championship so like it didn't have the excitement and uncertainty about it that coming up to the Premier League had uh, for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's a competition for me. I it was think more a relief, Premier wasn't it? It was like the relief of getting out of League One, really. Yeah. Was getting yeah. into the Premier League was joy and elation. Yeah. Two different emotions, but yeah. two I, I think, me personally, I think that's probably the best championship season I've seen. I haven't seen many, but to have Leeds and Sheffield United fighting it and they had no playing the football that they played near the top with Daniel Farker and I thought, you know what, our Sheffield United are really going to do it. That 1-1 against Millwall and I thought, it's looking a bit tight and tetchy but you have Wigan somehow beating Leeds and then Sheffield United sort of, that's the thing, it's a mentality thing. For me, I think it was that game against, um, again, I'll be quick here. <laughs> There's that game against um, Villa where they drew 3-3. They yeah. kept, I think, what was it, if you got me um, correctly from it, I think it was it six clean sheets and one of them was the one against um, Leeds when they won 1-0, right? And then they had that, and it showed the mentality of that team. And then that one one against uh, Millwall. And then, it, it, like, I think, was it Wilder said, um, out of the 21 points available for the last seven games, they've got to get at least 14. They did. And it, that's what I mean. It's just that, the unpredictability of that whole sort of run towards the getting promotion. I think that's what made it a season where I looked at it. It had everything. It had everything. Even the playoffs had everything in terms of what you want, in terms of drama. So, genuinely, I think that season is so good sort of to watch as a neutral, but as a Blade fan, it must have been great to sort of know after all of that, after everyone even talking up Bielsa's team as one of the best in the championship for a long time, Blade just sort of go on top of them and go from there. <laughs> Not to mention they decided to film that season for a documentary, didn't they? So, <laughs> forever immortalised. Bash's goal is forever on Amazon Prime. I trust you watched <laughs> episode four over and over again, was it? Or five, was it? With, uh, <laughs> I feel it to all my mates. I've it to everyone in Leeds, I know. I, I bet you watched the playoff one. Well. I bet you watched the final episode as well. The playoff one. I skipped everything. I skipped everything to get to that bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask one more, more question, guys. Literally before I let you guys go, yeah. Um, you've got three managers, right? Three um, Bramwell legends that have led Sheffield United to the top flight in the last sort of thirty or so years. You've had Dave Bassett, you've had Neil uh, Neil Warnock, and you've had Chris Wilder, right? Out of the three. Who would you reckon uh, is your favourite manager and who would you reckon maybe had the biggest achievement out of the three? Like, uh, out of the three managers, from what you guys know, who would you sort of rank the highest? I'll let Kyle go with that one. Uh, it's, that's hard. I, I love Warnock so much, but I think Wilder's the better manager. Um, and I think Wilder is... The achievement of what Wilder's done, probably 
better than what Warnock managed as well. Um, I think just even judging by, you know, for the season, as we were going up with Warnock, you know, the amount of interest we had off people for our players showed what quality we had in our team. Whereas this team we've got now, they still like, you know, it's, it's what is it, seven games to go or something, and they still call them League One players on, on commentary. They still comment how Basham was with us in League One and Fleck was, you know, uh, let go by this and Robinson is a reject from Liverpool. And so it's like, they still, when, when we came up with Warnock, it was, oh, Tom's incredible, Brown's incredible, you know. Um, um, yeah, so I think, like, I think, yeah, for me, Wilder, I think it's probably the best. Um, I didn't really. I don't have many memories of the Bassett era, to be honest. Uh, it was kind of I caught, caught onto that after the fact, really. I'm a bit too young for that, I think. But yeah, what 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 Bassett did was fantastic. And it, the thing that did it probably most impressive was it was just on a shoestring. You know, they went up with the Leeds team that spent a lot of money. You know, like Vinnie Jones was seven hundred grand. Uh, Mel Sterling came in, and Gordon Strachan, and all these sort of top well first division players as they were then. Yeah. Where Sheffield United, obviously back to back promotions. Uh, you know, obviously it was very direct, but a front two of Agana and Dean, that God, they were good to watch. You know, I think that there's merits on all of them, but I just think in your modern day, uh, I think the achievement what Chris has done, and certainly taking them where he has, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth in the Premier League, uh, you know, I think that he usurps all of them really. Because Warnock's team was fantastic, and I'll never forget that 2002 three season. You know, that was just <laughs> some of those so. nights were just incredible, and you know, so close, so close, but. It's got to be Chris Wilder because I think he's got into that top flight and pushed them on. I know Harry's team finished ninth in the two, uh, 91-92 um, season, but I've got to say, because I just think they're so good to watch as well. You know, yeah. they don't scrap and fight their way to uh, to points. They football people off the pitch, and I think that's a lot. I was going to ask as well, in regards to sustaining this, what areas do you think you need to improve as a whole? Because obviously Premier League is sort of, don't get me wrong, what he's done is incredible. But as we said before, it's about stability now. It's really about staying here for the long run. So where, well, for both of you, where do you think you really need to improve and where do you think, thinking, right, yeah, this has to change? It's got to be more chances created to me. Um, you know, it's great what they do with the overlaps and the overloads out wide. But I think I looked at Stan Opta the other day and I think, I think Sheffield United are the second lowest number of actual shots on goal wow. in the Premier League. Wow. So everything's been built on the defence. And as we've seen since the uh, re, you know, resumption after lockdown, the moment that defence, you know, uh, the odd mistake comes in, like obviously the winning goal for Arsenal and uh, Ender Stevens' fresh air kick at Newcastle, the, the moment these mistakes creep in, there's no margin for error. You know, all the points this season have been built on that fantastic defence and uh, you know, might only score one goal a week, but usually that's going to be enough to actually get the points. So... I think it's goals. Obviously, every team needs goals and you can't, you can't get away from that that it costs a lot of money. But I'd just like to see him have a few more shots on goal because the number of the crosses, okay. I do the third highest number of crosses in the division, but often there's not that many people actually in the box when, the, when these crosses fizz across. So just more chances to be, uh, that's going to be key for next. Of course. And Carl? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um, I think, you know, um, I read, I think it was a few days back, we were interested in that Dennis from um, Emmanuel Dennis from Bruges. Uh, Club Bruges, yeah. Yeah, I think he's he's smashing him in and he's incredible. Someone like that, you know, pacey goal scoring team to put away these chances when we do create them would change everything. Um I think for the next season, I think unfortunately it might mean cashing in on some of the players we've currently got now. Um which, you know, I, I wouldn't want to see any of them go really, but you know, people like Fleck, Arsenal were after him apparently, like, why not cash in? You know? And um uh, and use that money to invest in someone who can 
put the ball in the back of the net. Um, I think long term, I think I'd love to see love to see more um, youngsters coming through. Um, I think the more talent we can create ourselves rather than having to spend money. Um, and obviously, I know course, yeah. youth youth recruitment and youth all that stuff does cost money in itself. But you know, it's not sixty five million for a striker. So um, I think that that's probably where long term I think we need to get a bit better at. Um, raising up our own talent. Um, I mean, if you look at all the, the best Premier League clubs, they do have that as a backup. I think even Man U, I think it was it half of their starting eleven the other week was um, from their academy. Um, so yeah, Chelsea now as well a lot. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's definitely something we need to get a bit better at for long term. But yeah, for next season for sure. Like, forget Henderson. Like, if he can't, if you don't want to come back on loan, don't spend money. Just get a keeper that will do the job. Um, and invest in creating chances and putting ball in back. Richard, one more, one more thing I thought I'd ask. Any exclusive Henderson staying or going? I know a place I really want to know. Do you, do you have anything to give us at the time? Well, he thinks he can play for Manchester United as the number one next season. So, you know, Sheffield United would love to have him back. And, you know, Chris has always said that. Um, I think he's, he, he backs himself now to to be Manchester United's first choice keeper. The flip side is, if Solskjaer is not going to make him the number one keeper, Henderson needs to play next season because I think he will be England's goalkeeper yeah, at yeah, Euro, yeah. Euro 2020 delayed, but only if he's playing. He's not going to get in if he's on the bench for Man United and playing in the Europa League or the Champions League. If he, so maybe that's one sliver of hope that they might be able to get him because he certainly loves it here. You know, he's, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's got an England squad at Sheffield United. It's not like he thinks, well, I've, maybe I go to a team like an Everton or somewhere like that. Well, not Everton, obviously Pickford's there, but you know, go to a team that are more on the England manager's radar because Southgate's brought him in, you know, from that. And but for the pandemic, I, I you know, I was told he was going to play in March in one of the friendlies. So United would have had the first international since Brian, uh, England international since Brian Dean. So there is that one hope. I think that if he's if Solskjaer's adamant that De Gea is going to start next season, maybe Henderson thinks, well, I'll go out and I can be the number one come Euro 2021 if they're going to call it that. Yeah. I mean, you can't even see someone like De Gea being on the bench there as well, of course. That's I mean, it. he's he's not going to have that at all. Yeah. And given his links to Spain, he was obviously linked heavily with Real Madrid at the time, Atletico. They're settled. They've, they've got their keepers. Plus, so, I mean, uh, plus, over the last 18 months, who'd want him, really? Yeah, because exactly. mistakes have crept into his game. It's, you know, it's, it, if, you know two, year, two, three years ago, and he'd won... Was it it'd been in the PFA team four out of five years running stuff like that? You think, yeah, you know, Real Madrid would oh, want sure. him or anybody, but would anyone look at him now and think, oh, yeah, let's get him in? He's not doing it, but Solskjaer says, well, so certainly saying publicly, he's going to stick with him. So it's going to be fascinating that, fascinating how that pans out. Yeah. Uh, not, not just for Sheffield United, but for England as well. No, of course, definitely. No worries at all. But anyway, guys, um, we're coming towards the end now. Thank you so much both for coming on. Really have enjoyed that. It's been amazing to get an insight of sort of what makes tick and Definitely. Yeah, your sort of expertise, which are the, as a journalist and um, Kyle, your experience as a fan is what both of it has been so valuable. So hopefully we could do much more of this where we get journalists on and fans together because I feel like for me, that dynamic is so important to have the two married together and understanding each other and sort of breaking down that sort of barrier that can be at times. So... I think it's wonderful. And Richard, thank you so much for coming on as well. So, honestly, it really has been a pleasure. But, um, guys, this has been a chat about football. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thanks so much for watching if you are on, uh, watching on YouTube. Um, guys, I thought I'd let you know and leave you with the fact that if you like what we do and you want to listen to more of it, we're on Spotify. Um, we're going to be on Acast, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Podcast, podcast in the next week or two to come. <laughs> 
and uh, we're going to be on YouTube, have our own YouTube channel. If uh, we're not there in a few weeks, let us uh, give us a message and we'll do our best to be on there. Let me know when we're coming on. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening here today. This is a chat about football and um, we'll catch you soon. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you.